Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introduction and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. In this episode, I interview Andrew Harmel-Law, a technical principal focused on domain-driven design, or DDD, at ThoughtWorks, and Danilo Sato, head of data and AI and part of the office of the CTO at ThoughtWorks. This was a further delve into domain-driven design for data after the conversations that have been published so far with Paulo Plotter and Pitain Strangholt. I'll start with the endpoint Danilo made. DDD, in general, but especially for data, it's first and foremost about getting people to talk to each other. We discussed how everyone involved in an organization should be at least aware of domain-driven design as everyone is likely to be impacted. But the goal is bridging the gap between business communication and technical communication or technical implementation. This is done via working together to discover a ubiquitous language or kind of shared mental models used to build the actual systems. The business logic is actually embedded into the code. The how of that, Danilo and Andrew strongly recommend using event storming to find your domain events. Paolo and Pitain said the same thing. It seems like that's emerging as the de facto recommendation. One thing to remember per Danilo when doing DDD for data and data mesh in general It is always an iterative process. Andrew discussed the Blue Book and Red Book, both well-known guides for DDD, but thinks there's a way to do DDD in more of a guerrilla style, especially early. You know, really kind of go out there and just pay attention to incremental value and not as much to where this is going to evolve to the, the huge, huge picture. Don't get ahead of yourself, as Max Schulze mentioned in his episode. Do not let the size of the eventual task of fully mapping out all your domains and all of your data products, don't let the size of that throw you into analysis paralysis. Danilo recommends looking for coarse-grained domain boundaries to start. There's more information on exactly what that means. Don't want to get into too many specifics in this. Andrew talked a lot about the about how normalization and strong uh, abstractions on the application side make it very difficult to re-add the context lost when you normalize. Both Andrew and Danilo circled around the concept of embracing complexity. If you want context, you have to accept that there will be complexity. Don't try to fit everything into one form or abstraction model that causes accidental complexity. Focus on the business problems first and foremost. In the pursuit of simplification, you lose the richness, and that is very hard to reconstruct afterwards. For an initial POC, Danilo recommends starting with two to three data products. It is better if you can do cross-domain within your POC, but it isn't necessary. Validate value of your data mesh implementation and do it quickly. As Andrew mentions, the earlier you can show value, the the less pressure there is overall on the project. 
Look for the initial quick wins while also building for the long term. Don't focus on exclusively quick wins. This has been another through line that we've talked about in many episodes. Data products are how the domains communicate across the domain boundaries via technology. The people need to communicate the context as well, that business understanding. Andrew believes software engineers in general understand how to build APIs, but not data APIs. They need to think, how do they expose that data in a valuable way from the initial system application design, not as, again, a second thought? We need to be embedding that and really thinking about how to do that from the start. Some practical advice on boundary definition is that the boundaries need to be very clear, but malleable. They're going to change and you're going to, you know, quote unquote, get it wrong at the start. It's fine. Set yourself up for those to evolve. Build everything with that eye that it will evolve. Before you start splitting into the many, many, many two pizza teams, look at the big picture and select some coarse grained boundaries. There are some pretty obvious boundaries between domains at the very, very high level um, in pretty much every organization. You don't have to map out every subdomain in every uh, domain as well. You can split them further in the future. It is much easier to split later than it is to glue things back together if you split too soon or if you split in the wrong way. A sign that you split incorrectly is when teams are placing many tickets on each other's backlog. That's called backlog coupling. So to wrap it up, I'll repeat Danilo and Andrew, the summation of the interview with just get people to talk to each other. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. Super excited about this episode here today. Uh, we're going to be digging more into the domain-driven design for data. I know this is something that a lot of people are kind of blocked on or really trying to figure out themselves. So uh, I've got uh, two experts here that I'm, I'm really uh, excited to interview. I've got Danilo Sato, who's the head of data and AI in the office of the CTO at ThoughtWorks. And I have Andrew Harmel-Law, who's a technical principal at ThoughtWorks. So Thanks both of you for joining me. If you don't mind, could we get a little bit of background about um, yourselves and how you've kind of come into this? Maybe Danilo, do you want to jump in first? Sure. Yeah. Thanks, Scott, for inviting us. Uh, my background is in software engineering, and I jumped into the data world probably six or seven years ago as part of the office of the CTO role. Uh, Rebecca Parsons, our CTO, asked me to drive one of our internal initiatives at the time, uh, which was bringing data to our DNA. And I told her this wasn't my area of expertise, but I would do my best. And seven years later, I enjoyed it so much that now I had our data and AI services. Uh, and I feel data mesh has been a very uh, interesting topic for me because it brings back my background when I was building applications and architecting systems and applying that into the world of data. Yeah. Hey, uh, yeah. Um, hey, nice to uh, to meet you, Scott, as well. Thanks for inviting on. So I'm, I'm, so I'm kind of like Danilo, but maybe six years back. So I, like you said, I'm a tech principal, so I work with clients and help them architect systems, deliver systems. But I've, I've been using DDD for maybe 12 years. This is where someone does their maths and figures out that DDD didn't exist 12 years ago, but but a long time because DDD is not necessarily, you know, for all projects and for everything, but because I'm a consultant and uh, typically get to work on hard problems, it's the lens I look through when, when, when I do everything. So I've been using DDD in lots of different verticals, lots of different projects for lots of different clients, many, many years, and it's always proved super useful. So, And most recently I've started... 
teaching people. So I've got a training, like a first steps in DDD training course in O'Reilly. I've got a few presentations which kind of disambiguate it and, and, and lay out what DDD is because it's a big topic, just like you've said. And it's it's been around a long time, so there's lots of parts of it. I think one thing that's kind of quite fun, I, I was heard a, an interview with Eric Evans recently, and he said that DDD kind of comes and goes. It's been around a long time, but the reason re, the reason it's come back recently is because of data mesh and, and, and you know, all the data folks trying to understand it and get their head around it. So that's why the recent resurgence all over the place of DDD. So to kind of help disambiguate some of that stuff is cool. I love talking about this stuff. So. Yeah, and there, there's a lot of DDD-specific language, which I think is difficult for data people to pick up because there's it's okay. How much? How deep do I have to go? Who actually has to to learn this? I, I think that actually is a a good starting question of when you're thinking about DDD in general and specifically to data mesh and applying DDD to data. Who has to care, and at what level do they have to care? Because does the entire organization have to become masters of DDD? Do they all? Does everybody need to have the blue book on their desk? And if people aren't familiar, the the book that we're, we will reference multiple times is Eric Evans' original book, which I think came out in, in two thousand and three or so. So twelve yeah. years, you're totally safe. Uh, but but the uh, the blue book is is what people in DDD call Eric Evans' original book on domain driven design. So um, yeah, if, if you could comment about who has to care and at kind of what depth, just so that certain people can feel like, oh, it's fine. I just want to pick up the surface level and I don't have to spend hours and hours learning and reading. Do you want to take that I'll, on, Danilo? And then... I'll start and then you correct me. Yeah, Andrew. Cool. Uh, at some level, I'd say like everyone can get impacted by DDD because what it is trying to do is bridge that gap between how tech people talk and think about stuff and how the business talks. And if you're doing DDD right, you're bridging that gap in a way that you're speaking the same language and they understand you. So in that sense, I would say business people, they don't need to know the technical terms or pattern names or all those complicated terminology. But if you're doing it correctly, you are getting closer to them and then you'll be speaking about language that they understand. I think that's that's my short answer. That's a good short answer. I completely agree with that because that's the, and that's almost, in my opinion, indeed, DDD is big, like I said before, and, and it's like a, it's a, it's a complexity swamp you could get lost in. But the bit that Danilo just talked about is the, the, the DDD phrase for that is ubiquitous language. And by ubiquitous, it means, just like Danilo said, the languages and hidden behind them, the mental models of the business need to be the language and the mental models of the folk in tech and in data. So therefore, you're kind of, you know, you're co-creating and kind of co-discovering these mental models and using them to solve problems. And there's another, the other key fundamental aspect of, of DDD, which is kind of related to that, is, is modeling that out and using that to build the systems. So everything else on top of that is just is, is nice added extras, which you may or may not choose to use. But those two things, building this shared model together and using this shared language across the business that's the core. Everything else is just extra, extra niceness on top. Um, but if you get that, then I, in my opinion, as a DDD um, kind of convert, then you're doing DDD. You don't have to do any of the other stuff. So do you think then um, like a person that's just an engineer, a software, an application developer uh, needs to really understand DDD at a deep level or can they just be like, oh, I, I have to... Um, work with the business folks to actually make sure we're, we're talking the same language, but I don't have to care about the specifics. So I can, I'll, so I think, so it's most, so the key thing is DDD, the language needs to go all the way down to the code. So I would be kind of puritanical about that, you know, because frequently all devs you speak to, they go, oh, I'm already doing this because I have this conversation with my business, you know, the, the domain expert. And I understood them, and then I turned it into code. The thing is, in the turning it into code is frequently where the complexity creeps into software, which shouldn't be there. And it'll creep into data in the same way. So DDD is, is the language and the terminology right down to the, you know, the, 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 the classes and the, the, the services and the APIs that I'm building, the names of the tables, the names of you know, those kind of things. That's all the way down. But if I'm doing that, I think, yeah, on top of the rest of it, I think you're... It is it's just finding, you know, I've got a problem. So typical pattern language stuff, I find the pattern which solves the problem and I add the pattern. 
but but that's the big one of the first stumbling blocks is people think they're doing ddd but it kind of it's in their head and they understand it but then it doesn't get into the code it doesn't get into the delivered product whether that's a data product or a or a software product okay that's helpful and danilo did you have anything to add there yeah i I was gonna say like in in the book itself uh eric covers like the ddd at the high level and then at the low level right so like the the terminology is like strategic design or the tactical design part. I think for the tactical stuff is where the developers and the data engineers will need to know more in depth because you're trying to apply those things all the way down to the code that you're writing. And then everything that Andrew said, right, the complexity and the techniques to tackle the complexity is very, very useful. Uh, at the high level strategic, it's it's maybe more thinking about where you design the boundaries and like how do, how do people communicate across those boundaries, within those boundaries. Uh, it's interesting because it is an iterative process, even when you're talking to the business, right? Because how many times do you go ask three different people in the business, the same company, what does X mean, you know? Like, how do you calculate this? Same method? department. They sit right. next door to each other and, and they you yeah. get three different answers. Uh, and you realize, like, it's either, like, they have the concept wrong or maybe they're describing slightly variations that are actually different, but they're using the same name. So. That, that's where I think the rigor of DDD helps because it's like, oh, okay, in this context, maybe this term will mean this thing and we will agree on that, everyone. So when we say that, we all know what we mean. And if we use that same word in a different context, then it's going to have a different meaning. So that part, I think, is uh, very interesting from a data perspective because uh, we have those problems in data as well, right? Finding. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's funny because of the number of people who have said, you know, with data mesh, a lot of this, everybody kind of like the problem set and everything people knew. And, you know, it was like, how can we apply software practices that we've learned that work to, uh, to data, but also um, it's just given people a lot, lot, lot of common language and a common starting point to discuss stuff. So it's, it, it, you know, discuss how you would approach this and how you would tackle these. So that's, it, I'm hearing that through line and kind of what you talked about as well of why am I doing multiple episodes with multiple people on the same kind of topics? It's because of that, right? People have different approaches and different perspectives and that there isn't one that's necessarily this is the way this is the approach this is right there's definitely some wrong but, um but the the other side of it is that helping people to understand what questions they have to answer not giving them the answers is is how we're going to get data mesh kind of going the right way so you know uh, as i said some people are saying they're blocked by moving forward with their data mesh implementation by you know, just figuring out how to do domain-driven design for data. One question I would ask you is, if a company isn't doing DDD on their application side, do you think that they can get started with DDD for data? Do they need to kind of understand DDD first because DDD for data is so new? Like, how would you recommend somebody approach that? Um, and I know if somebody's also like trying to move to agile and trying to move to the cloud and trying to, you know, do a general reorg and all that stuff, don't take on too much at once. But like just in general, if somebody's not doing DDD yet, can they can they get going with DDD for data at the same time or even before they're doing it on the app side? I think they can. Uh, sometimes maybe even they should. Uh, the, one of, I was talking to Andrew preparing for this, actually. One of the techniques that we use to get people thinking about uh, DDD is this activity called event storming, where you get people talking about, you know, like, okay, tell me a story, what's happening in your organization from point A all the way to, to the end when someone's using it, who gets involved and what happens. And by telling that story, you're describing how the business works. The things that are very important from a data perspective is usually what we call domain events, right? So it's like a customer purchase happened or a customer registered or a customer bought something, they clicked on something, right? There's lots of these things that are domain events that the business people understand because, yeah, that's our business. That's how we make money. We 
someone subscribed to a service, you know, someone downloaded a, a podcast. So you have all these domain events. There are interesting nuggets of data that you would want to share. And it's what data mesh can help enable that. And regardless how the systems are designed, right? Even if the application developers didn't think about that, when you're modeling how your data products will 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 be will exist, those are usually the things that you're going to want to expose and make available. Uh, and by by running this exercise and getting business people talking, even if you haven't considered DDD when you're designing it, every business when you're describing something, there will be interesting things that happen there, and you can use that as a starting point to to think about. Your, the start of your data mesh journey. Yeah, 100%. Like, that's the, because um, it's, I think maybe a lot of people think lots of places are doing DDD, but in my experience, very few actually are, but they'd like to be doing DDD. But just like Danilo says, again, keeping the lens on the business and meaningful events from a business perspective, um, you can then go in, we use event storming as well in software development because they're a nice kind of way to, to see an end-to-end system, but also tie the value of those end-to-end systems into something explicit. And then we typically go in and, and fix targeted parts of that using the event storm. And in the same way, you could just do that with data, right? You're just, you know, and maybe that would mean, okay, for this system, it doesn't actually publish in the real world, it doesn't publish this kind of event, but then you can do, like we're doing with my current client, um, talking about figuring out okay cool before we lose the context of the fact this update is applied because we you know when we when we save the data it stops being a nice clean domain event it just becomes a, an update and insert in a row in a database but can we capture that and publish that as an event for consumption by the data team before we you know just write a write a, a row to a database and that's how we can do a small piece in te- in, in development and, and software to then start feeding all these rich contextualized events into a data mesh which can be consumed and, and and, and, and used in various ways. So yeah, it yeah. definitely doesn't be there. And, and what I've kind of am, am hearing more about is, you know, not the event storming type of event, but like the actual CDC and, and event type systems are not built for data, right? So you if you design them, you have to think about how it's actually going to be consumed for data rather than it's just this thing changed. So I'm just going to kind of, spew off some some information but it's it's and it's got data in it but it's not the data it's just like okay you just spewed off information about how your your application systems have changed yeah the data people don't care right (laughs) like they, they care about what happened that that actual event storming type of event not the event that you put on a streaming solution type of thing so yeah um yeah I can go off on a CDC rinse if we've got time, but <laughs> it's a very interesting technology solution, but like, it's probably not the thing you would go at the first if, if you have a choice. If you can model real domain events, like that's way more valuable, I think, to design. Uh, but yeah, sometimes you don't have a choice and like we, we sure we can use that as a, as a solution. But. Well, and it's an iterative process, right? Like, hopefully, exactly. we can get the the teams to over time think about that. So, it's um, nice because it liberates the data in a way, right? It's like, oh, I'll just tap into your database, and everything that's happening, don't worry about it. Events will start popping up, and we can consume. But usually, like you said, is is the dump of data as the source system sees it is the internal representation of the data, and it's not the interface that you want to expose. To the business so you're pushing that understanding out to everyone else so whoever is consuming that raw stream it's gonna have to reconstruct that meaning instead of you giving them a meaningful thing to start with. and that, that's the key point right so that's that's the realization that eric evans had with ddd it's it's about and it's where the word bounded context comes from it's contextualized information because you know maybe we built a system to save two or three data points but at the time we we were requested you know as this system to do this thing we have this far richer kind of piece of information and then we've optimized it in software world right to denormalize our databases and strip out all the stuff we don't need but while you've got it in in the business kind of level of of thinking about things to expose that that contextualized piece of information and let it be consumed by other things that's super powerful i mean i would argue that in software we shouldn't lose that context either but we do all the time right because software the like to simplify and abstract and things but we leave so much stuff lying on the floor that we could use ourselves and can definitely be consumed by data products you know it's all that stuff we should use 
And so I'm going to ask um, a simple question to ask, but a very big question to answer, which is, okay, somebody says, I'm, I'm heading down data mesh. I need to do DDD for data. How do they get started? Like, where do they start? Where, where is okay to go for from like a POC perspective? And, and do they have to solve their entire domain uh, map up front? Or like, where, where does that need to go to kind of get going? Andrew, do you want to start? No, I was going to start. Starting? So I'm going to start, but I'm going to start from a software perspective. So, so again, this is another common misconception with DDD, and I've got rants online about this. So just like Danilo's got some rants. So DDD, you read the blue book, and it starts with ubiquitous language and hands-on modeling. They're the two patterns which everyone agrees is the key thing. But then the Eric Evans book goes into the tactical lower-level stuff, and it builds its way up because it goes, if you do this, then you could do this. But it's also fundamentally... It's very much based in XP. It's very much based in increments. It's very much based in learning. And, you know, people think, oh, I'm discovering things, but you're not. You're you're cultivating and curating and code, co, co-evolving this ubiquitous language between the technical folks and the business folks, right? So the people who can implement the systems to solve the problem and the people who have the problem. And so that even up to two-thirds of the way through the book, the original blue book, it's discovery, it's incremental, it's iterative. So then when it gets to the last bits, the, the bits Danilo talked about, the strategic, so-called strategic bits, the bits where subdomains come in and all the technical stuff, where you split separate teams up, probably do separate um, uh, you know, organizational design and stuff, that's at the end of the blue book. Architects in the software world then took over, and then there's a red book which comes along, which is Vaughn Vernon's book, which is also good, although I don't like the Cowboys bits. Um, but it flipped it, so it started because it's an architect's book. It start it does ubiquitous language and then um, uh, you know hands on modeling and stuff. Then it goes right. We'll start big level, the high level, and we'll work our way down. So it still gets there, but people stopped reading before they got to the small bits. So people got the impression they needed to do this big, high level, full Monty stuff first to be able to get down to the small things. You don't. You can do. From a dev perspective, I've advocated that you could do what I call guerrilla DDD. If you're listening to a domain expert and listening to their language, you could go into an individual class or an individual microservice and do a good thing to your code base by just making it more aligned to the business problem and, and losing less of the context. And I'm going to hand over to Danilo now. But I think, you know, and, you, and you'd find and discover and iterate, right? I, you can, from my perspective, you could do exactly the same thing with with with, with data, right? You'd, you'd you'd iterate on it and you'd work stuff out. You wouldn't pick the big bang thing. So. Yeah, and absolutely. And if you try to do the whole thing up front, you're probably going to be wrong, right? Like that, the whole thing about this process <laughs> is learning, right? So you think you have the boundaries right, but you try to do things, then you'll find out like, oh, actually, maybe I should split this a bit more. Or these two things that were separate, maybe it makes more sense to be together. That's a total valid kind of part of the learning process. And if you get that paralysis analysis in the beginning, because you're trying to do the model, the whole enterprise, which I've seen as well. And like, you can get to like very high level of definition, even though you spend months trying to get there, right? Still gonna be wrong. Yeah? So uh, try not to spend that much time up front as much because you're not gonna build that all at once either, right? Even if you've got the rights, let's assume you, you, you managed to get the model right. You're not gonna build all at once. So what I advocate is actually uh, think enough about the big picture, but get going quickly. And to get going, think about a value case, you know, like that you're trying to unlock that you yeah. cannot do today. Like what's maybe two or three data products. Look, if we were able to connect this and this and build this model or, you know, generate this insight, then we'll get some value. And yeah. maybe a business person has that problem that you could try to solve. So like you can find the, we call it a thin slice, you know, try to, okay, to, to deliver this small value case here, we only need maybe these two or three data products that will touch on these two source systems. You haven't solved the whole architecture or the mapped out the whole enterprise, but you can, to your point, Scott, build like a POC around that. And at the end of POC, it's not just a technical validation that, yeah, people can build these technology bits, but then look, if you connect these bits, then you get this value. And, Imagine now if we had three more bits, then we can get more value and like you kind of grow more organically like that. That's what I advocate. Do, do you see that as being 
best to do in a single domain or across domains, or is that so um, situation dependent? I'm, I'm thinking about this. I'll give a little bit of context as the question of when I look at the first two meetups that we did for data mesh learning, it was both of them, their first use case were cross domains. And it was, it was funny because they were both um, about the companies had made acquisitions. And so there wasn't a centralized place for, for the information. One was into it that they were having customers call in um, and it was costing them millions of dollars a year just to check what all am I subscribed to from into it, right? Like there wasn't a single dashboard. So they'd be like, okay, like what, what all are my products? And it was just costing them millions in customer service calls. Like it sounds crazy, but at the same point, it's not when you make acquisitions and things like that roll up. DPG Media, it was, they had made acquisitions. And so they had a bunch of different services that customers were subscribed to, you know, whether it was news or it was streaming video or whatever. And they, uh, didn't have one place where they could centralize so they could really understand the customer to serve them better content and better ads that were more targeted and things like that. So do you think that it makes more sense to try to do cross domain data products as part of that two to three data product POC, or do you think it makes more sense to do it within the domain? I was going to give the consulting answer. It depends. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking of an example. I, if you can do cross-domain, I think it's good because you validate a few yes. more things, right? You validate that, like, okay, different teams or different uh, data products are owned by different parts of the organization. So it, it lets you test out some other things that maybe within the domain you, you have a little, more, a little bit more liberty. But... To, to my point earlier, right? Like I'm, I'm really more interested in like what value are we gonna unlock? And one of the clients we've been working with now, like most of the value was all in the marketing side. And we started building what the marketing folks needed. Obviously there were dependencies, right? So it's like, oh, we need to pull product data from somewhere else that is not owned by the marketing uh, part of the organization. But the way we executed as a team, we made the same team actually build out those products, even though we had in our head, like, this is probably going to live in different domains in the future. Uh, but as part of building that, we started talking to the teams that actually own the systems that are kind of outside to say, hey, we're doing this 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 thing here. We're starting to build this out. Uh, we think you own this data. So in the future, this should be your data product. But I know that you're busy now. So we're going to help and build the first version with you here. So you're aware of what we're doing. And then later on, you can take that ownership. And they're like, yeah, that's right, because this is our data. I, I like that we are owning it. And it's good to know you're using over there. So we started that conversation early on. But in terms of executing, was kind of like within the same team, building products that are technically in different domains. Uh, but the value was all within that, that part of the business. So yeah, I think both are valid. And if if it's probably going to cross domains, I guess, because you, you, you're very, very rarely going to find a value case that will be super self-contained because most companies, you know, things depend on each other and you start pulling anyways. Yeah. 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 And I think like to just add a little bit extra to that, the, like you say, I think cross domain, definitely when I've seen this cross domain, the value, maybe, maybe the value case isn't, when you've stacked it up as strong, but you never know the real value case until you've built something, that, which is why Daniel mentioned we advocate, you know, getting to building and delivering something rapidly because then you can really see it and feel it. But also, um, if it's at least kind of owned from primarily from one place, then it's easier from an organizational perspective to get maybe developer time or whatever in some of those teams to free up this data or to make it available. Because again, I've seen things which are Super, the business case was awesome, but just trying to get you know a few stories on the backlogs of a few teams just to make a few minor tweaks to make the data available can kill stuff all the time. So if there's a smaller piece that you can go in and just get it and prove that this thing is useful, and you're like, okay, cool. And then the other team are like, oh, right now maybe I can even see how this benefits me, you know, as as a, as a just a regular system provider. So yeah, that's yeah. I, I think there's a lot there, but as you said, it kind of depends, and people want 
with data mesh, especially they want a little bit more, here are your exact guardrails. And so much of it is, it depends. (laughs) I get it. (laughs) Yeah. But, but it's important to really understand that. Yeah. Well, and that you don't have to get it right the first time That, that this is iterative. And I mean, I think that's especially important for, for, um, DDD of like understanding that this is going to evolve. And if it doesn't evolve, that's a problem. That's a red flag because you're the way your business interacts with each other. If it's not evolving, that means you're stagnant, right? Like if, is it the right call that it's not evolving? If it is the right call and it's not evolving, that's a real big red flag. So, um, so, Pete Hine had talked about this and I've seen this in a couple of different places. And, and you kind of touched on this earlier about that, the, you know, getting people on board with the bridging the gap between the business communication and the tech communication. Pete Hine talked about your data products are your literal way that the tech communicates across boundaries. So like, how do you think about, bringing that concept to people. Do you think that on the tech side, people are familiar with it because they're doing APIs and like it, that it's more, it's not as, as big of a, uh, an intuitive leap as it kind of feels like to somebody that's, you know, my background is, is more uh, from a business analysis type side and, and, you know, coming from uh, a little bit more on the operational world as well. But uh, how do you kind of get people to get their arms around that concept that, that you're, you need to communicate the, the business to business and then how you actually evoke that conversation. I don't think that's the right word, but you know, how you, you kind of create that conversation at the technical level is the data product. I, I'm going to give uh, my, my, my opinion, I guess, uh, the, the developers are usually they're thinking about how people are consuming what they build, uh, but I I think Andrew can give his experience I think but like oftentimes from a data perspective is is almost like an afterthought, it's like you're thinking about the data within your system that you own and how you're storing it, making sure it's consistent and all of those things, but oftentimes you're not thinking about like oh this is useful I'm gonna expose this because it's a domain event right as an example or something yep. like that. So it tends to be they, they have the right skills and they think about it from a API design perspective, but we're not designing the data API, if you will, alongside the yep. API that other people invoke you on. Uh, so there is a bit of a leap there, I guess, for people to start thinking more about this. Look, there's useful data everywhere. We should bring that into the development lifecycle more about exposing that and making that be the means for sharing that with other parts of the organization. Uh, so from a developer side, I think that's it's it's the, the 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 foundation is there. I think in the thinking, but maybe the implementation sometimes you do it afterwards instead of doing it as you go. Yeah, I was gonna. I just add. I think so. This ironically, the biggest pushback I get whenever I try and so to, to kind of going back to your original question, Scott. The more people who get DDD and the fundamental concepts, the easier it is. And so I spend a lot of time at clients trying to spread the understanding of DDD, specifically the idea of context and ubiquitous language. In my experience, the people, the, the more experienced a dev is, the better they are at thinking abstractly, the better they are at kind of bringing lots of disparate things together. And so, and the better they are at kind of focusing things in and just having just enough information. So therefore, they're the same people who will go, oh, I have the 17 different types of, of user, but I can abstract them down to this complicated you know, schema where I can put them all together in one place. And by solving that problem technically, they've lost all of the difference, all of the context, all of the fact that it is, you know, you're, you know, those 17 different types of user are there for 17 different viewpoints for 17 different problems. So then sometimes, and like, like I say, the more technically mature you see this, sometimes the further it's gone. Then when you come in from a data perspective, you know, like people like Danilo and yourself will be going, right, how do we rehydrate all of this 
you know, you've normalized out all of the richness of the stuff and you've just diluted it down to these two little key data points. But now I want to do something smart with the data. You've dropped all of the other interesting stuff on the floor, right? It's just been not persistent because you don't need to because you've optimized your database. Putting that back in and making the case for that not being waste, but for that being valuable information is sometimes quite hard. And like I say, it's typically the people who've done this longer and, and for, for more years. Um, you've got to show them an example. You're like, you know, so they're, you know, like, so the, the one I do over and over again, because it always comes up is an idea of a user or an account, right? That'll kind of pop up everywhere. So everybody's got different ideas or an order, right? Another kind of thing, but like an order from a, from a customer perspective, putting stuff in their basket versus an order from a warehouse fulfillment system versus an order from a, you know, a, a, a um, just in time order management. So all of these things, order is the same, probably with similar structure and stuff, but the needs it's solving or serving, and the 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 ways I would treat that data, maybe I could denormalize it down to one table, but I don't want to, right? Because I want different intel and different into, uh, different use cases for all of that kind of stuff. So bringing that kind of stuff out, making people realize that maybe they didn't have to solve work really hard to solve seven problems in one place. Maybe they should have just left it at five different problems. Yeah, and kept well, them in that- sync, right, with events, right? And then you to get down the events comes. So, so do you find that there's a, a tension between best practices on the application side and on the data side? And, and like, do people have to learn? I mean, there, there's this, you know, data is an afterthought, which is kind of what you're talking about. But is there an actual tension where you say, well, if we're going to do DDD for data, we're going to start moving away from what we've called best practices on the application side? I think so. I'll, I'll go first in this one and I'll let Daniela talk. I think so. So I think best practice on the on the system side is exactly why Eric wrote the book in 2004, because he was like, best practice is, is causing accidental complexity everywhere. And if we focused on the user need and the business problem, we wouldn't have done this. We wouldn't have put everything in one big system. We wouldn't have you know, tried to over abstract things. We would have ended up with multiple systems which worked. Like he wrote it before microservices. You can read that book with the microservices hat on, the blue book from 2004. It all makes sense. But I think the fact that, you know, for whatever reason, it didn't, it felt big and complicated and hard to grasp. People didn't grok it. But I still go back to it because I think it is. I think it's, it's, comp- the two are completely, and I think this is why it's come back. I think, I'll shut up and let Daniel have it say in a second. I think the, from a DDD 2004 and a data mesh, 2022 perspective they're completely lined up it's just that where everyone else kind of went and is now realizing maybe was problematic has gone away from that we fall in love with kafka right oh it's awesome it's kafka we're doing you know we're doing aws but but they're, they're not focusing on the business problems they're focusing on the tech yeah well, why are we doing this it's the- yeah hey why are we doing kafka i don't know it seemed cool all my friends were doing it <laughs> It, well, I mean, you know, sometimes it's career advancement and things like that. <laughs> and this thing, like, inevitably you end up using Kafka or whatever because there's a reason what these things do. But just because it's Kafka is not necessary, or because somebody, what well, it's an event-driven, you know, it's why. why. Yeah. The business will tell you why it needs it, and then the architecture almost emerges. So. As, as somebody who was at DataStax many moons ago with Cassandra, it was the same thing. It was that yeah. MongoDB of... Well, we're doing this because it's the new hotness and it's kind of, you're seeing that with a lot of tools and, and things of, oh, well, it, are we really modern if we're not doing this? And it's like, are you, are you solving your business problems in a way that's scalable and agile? Like that's what we're trying to actually get to because that's what drives business value, not the, the tools. So Danilo wanted to give you obviously the, the space to answer as well. The, the question again was the, is there an uh, attention or if you're trying to do best practices for domain-driven design for data, does that mean that you're going against best practices for application design? And I know ThoughtWorks also hates the word, the phrase best practices, but yeah. it's, it's the industry phrase. So. I, know, I know what you mean. We, I think it's not that it has a tension because in a way, like Andrew said, when we're thinking about DDD and trying to break down complexity, you end up accepting that like, oh, maybe things are not going to be neatly all exist in one place and have one single definition, right? So it's like you're embracing that complexity and trying to model that in your systems. And that percolates both through the data and the system as well. Like I would say like, well, 
if, if you mean by best practice, like people thinking like, oh, I'm going to solve the technology problem just once and try to consolidate everything and have one representation, it's kind of the same centralized data mindset, right? It's like, oh, we're going to model everything in the data warehouse or like that stuff only works if your problem is not is not super difficult, right? The more complexity you have in the in the problem you're trying to solve, then guess what? It's not going to be one solution solves everything. So DDD kind of gave us the permission to embrace that complexity and say, like, actually, maybe you've got different models for things that might look similar, and but they're not exactly the same. They they have a relationship maybe, and we can map that relationship so that someone else, if they if they see this later, they can draw that conclusion and connect them together after the fact, you you don't lose that richness. And I, I think that's what Andrew was trying to talk about, right? Like the uh, sometimes you might in the in the pursuit of simplification and consolidation, you start dropping things that you lose that richness that is very hard to reconstruct afterwards. So embracing that I would say it's still best practice for both, you know, the developing systems that can evolve and developing uh, data systems that can answer your questions. I really like that uh, DDD gave us the permission to accept or even embrace complexity. 100%. I, I, I think that's kind of data mesh as well of instead of trying to say, oh, our, our users only um, can have one query model, like with the enterprise data warehouse and things like that, you think, okay, I'm going to give them the information and give them the, the capabilities via tooling and training to stitch this together themselves, but that we need to have, we're not dropping, we're not dropping the context on the floor, right? Context comes with complexity, right? So if you try to get rid of the complexity, you lose the context. Uh, It's like the worst I've ever seen. There was, um, and I'm on record talking about this. At one place I worked, there was a person microservice because people had spotted there were people. The people kept appearing all over the place, right? So there was a microservice which was person, and it was it. It had like the largest switch if statement you've ever seen because the, the person could be playing lots of different roles in loads of different systems, but someone had abstracted it to person, and then it, everything that called this person microservice had to rehydrate the details of what kind of person it was, and it was just yeah. So it, it made sense technically, but just for someone trying to build a system, you're like that's that's the peak. Don't build a person microservice, right? Don't build a person data product because you'll have to put everything back in that you've lost. I'm just thinking about doing that for like AWS and every IAM role and like, yeah. oh, and then, oh, there's new permissions that have come out and I have to relook through every single one. Yeah. And then, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah. 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 I'm laughing because like, uh, this is one of the things like I, I saw, it's not just one place that you saw, Andrew, it's everywhere. Uh, I think it's, your user or your customer is, is going to be like that because everyone has a customer and you're serving someone and like you're going to have multiple views. And then the other one is the thing that you do, right? Like, so if, if your retailer is the product, so if you're selling something or I don't know if it's a contract or a policy, if you're an insurer, you know, that, that your customer or a version of your customer and then the thing that you do as a business, those are tend to be the, the, concept magnets I call, right? It's like everything is going to relate to that. So it's like, oh, let's just build that in one place and have just one version. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah. it's about yeah. the person. It's about and, the when person. in fact, you're right, they're the things that will pop up everywhere, which again, like sets off the spidey sense of devs, right? It probably does data people too, where they're just like, oh, the same thing's appearing in 15 places. This feels bad. And you're like, no, no, no. It's because it's like you, like you say, it's this is the thing we do, right? This is, yeah, it's going to pop up all over the place in different shapes or from a different angle or... Or whatever. So, uh... one question that uh, had come up, especially after reading uh, a couple of Pete Hines' articles, was the concept of domain boundaries. And you know, when you're first starting, you don't want to necessarily say, "Okay, you have to map out all of your boundaries." Um, at least that's what I'm, I'm getting from you. But as you get, as you progress, and you think about who owns what, is important. So you need to have. Or do you need to have very clear boundaries that are very solid yet malleable as things change, as you learn more, as you, you do that? Like, is, is that how you view it? And, and if it is, how do you also change those boundaries? Like, is this, is this constant reorg? Is this going to 
if people think about this at the org level, is this going to create constant chaos for them? Difficult question. Uh, (laughs) Good question. The the boundary definition is very important. I agree. And having a grasp of that, like being being hard on like, okay, you you, you define it well. I think that's probably what he means, right? Like it's well-defined and like everyone understands it, but it's got malleability that you can evolve it. Uh, I, I agree with that. Uh, the the question about the org restructuring, I think, which is a little bit more complicated. Uh, what what I would advocate is like before you start splitting, you know, like and seeding all these many 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 teams, uh, it's probably easier for people to start together before they split, because then you will learn together about that and really understand like okay, this is a well defined boundary, or maybe the boundary needs to shift a little bit, uh, and the Within within that boundary, you might split further later as well, right? So I would say like avoid try. It's kind of like microservices, you know. Like if you want to start like and you just like design like hundreds of microservices, that's probably not the best way to start because you don't quite understand the problem yet. So it's it's a little bit better to be more coarse maybe and understand the big picture boundaries first, and then yep. you can further split afterwards. Uh, so it's kind of the same, I think, in, in here. Uh, Find the coarse grain, maybe boundaries that look more stable. And you can, doing this, the things like event storming, you know, talking to the business, you can kind of get a grasp of that, uh, even if it's not the final or the full picture of the organization, but you will find some boundaries there. Yeah. Uh, and then you start there a little bit more coarse. And then as you learn and build more, you can split. So that minimizes a bit of the pain. Yeah, definitely. Just to build on, so like, just like Daniel said, it's, Splitting things is a bit painful, but it's a lot easier than trying to glue stuff back together again if you split things up too much. So yeah, and and the gross the gross splits are frequently blindingly obvious to everyone. So like some people like you know they wonder why you're doing all this DDD stuff when they're like I could have told you that the you know the order fulfillment department was clearly separate from the you know the the the, the storefront with the shopping basket. But when you've got that clarified, just like Danilo said, having an eye for and this is part of the, the, the it's kind of the thing i had for in my the o'reilly training course there's a thing where you think you've got one problem and one model and then you model it to a certain level of detail and you realize that it's actually two models with two problems so then you split it up but you only get to that if you think it's one and then you realize it's two and you do that by paying attention to the language and paying attention to the problem and, and you know are we solving two problems or are we solving one and that's Standard classic blue book DDD, but I think it also applies completely to, to data mesh too, right? So, you know, you think you're doing one and maybe it is one, but then maybe iteration two or three, when you add extra features and functionality, you realize it's two because it's maybe slightly different consumers or the same consumer with slightly different problems at slightly different parts of the product lifecycle or whatever. So that kind of, that view is really nice. But I think I also see like look, what we're doing current client, we're on, it's not even reorgs now because we are this, the fact that we discover the boundary and we're discovering chunks of software and it would equally apply to chunks of, of, of data mesh and data product. Teams want to have a nice problem that's all theirs and they can own and belongs just to them without having to, you know, put three stories on the backlogs of two other teams to get something done that works end to end. So most folks are kind of happy about that product. Folks are happy because it's a flat, you know, you get fast flow, et cetera, et cetera. And typically, when that has to change, it's because the business focus of the organization or or the you know the, the route you're trying to take changes. So something which might have been good has turned into something which isn't is less valuable, and then you can reorient and put some bits back together again or slice some other bits up. So it definitely works. That that brings up an interesting thing. Uh, you know, I'm I'm very very much new when it comes to DDD, but like, is is that a signal that you might be needing to split the the domains if you start to see lots and lots of cross team backlog stuff is that is that like so it's that? not split it so if you haven't split that's easy because then then it'll be the same team building three different things if you split it wrong that's the that's the sign you get so so james lewis calls it backlog coupling which is you know like coupling is bad right which is a good name because all devs are like oh, i don't like coupling you know data people are probably the same thing right coupling sounds bad but um but yeah, backlog coupling, it's, it's, it's not, you know, um, software coupled, but it's like to get anything out the door of value, we've got to put three stories on another team and it's not, not high priority for them, et cetera, et cetera. So stuff gets gummed up. So that's a signal you got it. You split too much, you got it wrong. 
And see, I, I liked the uh, sitcom coupling from the UK. From the- <laughs> don't know if it holds up. I'm guessing it probably doesn't. But no. uh, that, that's that's a terrible joke for anybody who's in the UK. You might get it. Anybody else is probably like, what? Um, so, yeah, like, if, if I were to get really specific here and somebody were trying to, to again, get going on their POC, what what like concrete recommendation can you give them and, and where can they feel safe that they've done enough work, right? There, there's this concept maybe of, okay, you need a team of five people to go around and, or 10 architects or 20 architects and, and map all of even these course grains and like course grain domains and things like that. Like, where do you think, somebody could start for their POC to feel comfortable that they're not heading down a bad path, but that they, you know, uh, Barry O'Reilly and Jamak talked about this. It seems like it's a thought work thing as well. Start small or think big, start small, move fast. Like how can you give them the permission that, that they are thinking big and that they have the big picture in mind, but that they can start that small, peace and and be able to move fast instead of I'm going to spend six months doing my boundary mapping and all that stuff? Uh, I think if, if, if you've got the, the, the value articulation well, well, well defined, right? If you know, like, okay, what I'm trying to prove and how, how are people going to see the, it's kind of like a hypothesis, right? Like if we do this, I think this is going to happen. Uh, and to prove that POC, you should find a small enough thing that you can prove or at least show indication that it's moving in the right direction. And that is not going to require you building or designing the entire organization, right? So it's kind of a, a backwards process that we map, right? It's start from the van and then try to build enough of that value stream through the data products or through the domains to, to achieve that value. Uh, so that's when you know, if you know enough, it's like, oh, yeah, looks like I can fulfill this. I can prove this hypothesis. I have enough here to do that. And I haven't had to go far reaching to the whole organization. Uh, so I think that would be like a signal to know if you've got enough to, to get going. And yeah, acknowledge that like, yeah, this is not complete, but it's okay because I'm only trying to validate this. So it's going to be a, a smaller piece of the, the puzzle. Yeah. Yeah. And then like you say, Daniel, deliver it. Get get to the end, right? So you've you've identified something, then you're actually you've you've sourced the data, you've put it in, you've delivered it, and you've delivered it, even if it's a lo-fi kind of version of it. To see that and then iterate, which is classic, like you said, Zamak. Um, we're, you're you're obliged contractually to kind of buy into this thin slice thing when you're a salt worker, but it's totally true because, I mean, the same the thing that we face as consultants are we come in and we're thought work, so people expect big things and and. It's best for us to deliver value to the business as soon as possible. Same thing for a data mesh, even if you're internal, right? You want to, you've convinced someone to invest some time of some people in something, and then you want to kind of prove it and and take the, you know, to to get the risk of not delivering off your back as soon as possible. So, yeah, smallest thing that has value, end to end running as opposed to a slide deck and stuff is all good. So, yeah, it makes perfect sense. Um, So, this has been. Phenomenal. I think this is going to really, really help a lot of people to uh, kind of understand or, or grok. I, I had somebody tell me that not everybody knows the word grok. So, uh, but, but, but it's, a podcast to explain what grok means. Me it's, uh, it's used in almost everyone. It's kind of funny. It's just such a technical uh, term that people, it's, it's not a technical term, but it's a term that's uh, used in every technology podcast. But um, so, if people are, are looking to learn more, what resources do you think they should be heading towards? Is it Blue Book? I mean, obviously, Andrew, you've got your, your training on O'Reilly. So, you know, everyone should go tr- take that, right? Or are you going to do one for maybe DDD for data, hopefully? Or we, we can push O'Reilly that? keep asking me to write to do more, but finding time. It turns out being locked down on COVID was good to write a training course, which is when I wrote the first course. But yeah, so that's that's... I thought I was writing it for developers, but now architects, BAs, product people, even product product um, managers have been on it because it's three hours and it's hands-on. You you write some code. There's a Python version if you're a data person. Um, 
But yeah, like I said, for that, the big thing is to introduce just enough to get you to the pain point when you realize there's two models. So there's nothing data about it at all, but it does introduce just enough of the DDD concepts. Um, on the blue book front, I think actually I'd love everyone to read it, but it puts people off. But if you read the ubiquitous language chapter, which is at the very start, I think that would give you a big, I think it might open your mind up and, and let you see things in a different way. So, But those are DDD, not, not DataMS specific. specific. Vladek Kananov also recently released a, a book. Of, yes. I think it's just called Learning Domain-Driven Design on uh, through O'Reilly as well. But, Vladek's awesome, actually. So like, look at this, some of, like, actually, Vladek's got a, talking about how things evolved. There's a seven years of DDD talk that Vladek's done. And that's really good because he talks about how he did it at the start and they modeled some stuff out and they discovered something was wrong. So they refactored it. Then they discovered that the business was changing. So they changed that. That's nice. Again, it's nothing to do with data mesh, but it shows you that DDD can be applied gradually and incrementally and change based on either being wrong or, or the business changing. So that kind of goes to Danilo's point earlier. So that's a nice resource. Yeah, I, I don't have anything to plug myself. I, I'm very passionate about the topic, as you might know from previous interviews or webinars. Uh, well, I would say, I guess we spoke in the beginning, but I would recommend people to look into event storming. As yes. A, workshop and like how to run a session like that uh we obviously do that at thoughtworks ourselves we we have that but we didn't invent that uh yeah. it's a community driven thing and it is very useful so i would I recommend people to look into that yeah and, and paulo platter also had a uh one of the episode that that i did with him is it talks about that same type of thing and so he's got one that's that's uh kind of targeted towards data mesh as well. And so I think oh, nice. the more that we can have those, you know, maybe O'Reilly again, <laughs> do, do an event storming uh, um, training on uh, for doing it for data mesh. That'd be great. But yeah, actually, um, yeah. So that's sort of quickly at that point, the, um, the power of that. And also there's a thing that Alberto Brandolini who came up with it. There's a bit in the workshop where he lets people, you know, just to your question of, you know, what, what, how small could you do this? There's a bit in when how our Alberto, runs these where he gives people business and tech the chance to vote on where the biggest pain points are because you have this end-to-end -end view that's a really nice way of kind of identifying what might be a valuable thing to, to to tackle for so as a quick way in maybe that's a good it's funny how much of doing data mesh right comes back to that communication like <laughs> hey just get people to talk to each other that that, that, that it's not just uh competing you know uh backlog tickets of jira yeah. and stuff like that so yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's, that's so funny it, it's, it comes full circle because when i spoke to andrew the first time about recording here and i posed the question like okay how do we get people to start like scott wants to ask the question and immediate answer was like oh, just get people to talk to each other so, uh, so this has been phenomenal. Thank you so much for, for walking us through this and your thoughts here. Um, how can people get in touch with you or, or kind of follow up if they want to chat more? Is it just LinkedIn or anything else where? So, so like LinkedIn is good, but I'm trying to be on, I didn't realize I thought LinkedIn was where people hung out just to like be like be friends with each other, but there's, I've realized there's tons of stuff on there, so I'm posting a bit more. But also on Twitter, so I'm on Twitter more as AL nine four seven eight one, which is not. It was I signed up to Twitter before I realized it was a big thing, so uh, it's um, it's not very memorable. But I'll drop links in the show notes so that yeah, way people. Yeah, that's why yeah, I tweet about DDD. I tweet about other stuff too, but I tweet about DDD quite a lot. And so the DDD community actually on Twitter is really cool. They've welcomed me and 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 I kind of communicate and chat to them quite a lot. So if me or lots of other folks, you know, I can sometimes hopefully bring in an at sometimes if people have questions about it. So yeah, same for me. LinkedIn works. I'm also on Twitter. Uh, yeah, feel free to to ping me. I I'm always glad to engage on these types of conversation. All right. Well, thank you so much, Danilo and Andrew, and thank you everyone for listening. I'd again like to thank my guests today, Danilo Sato and Andrew Harmel Law from ThoughtWorks. You can find links to their LinkedIn and Twitters in the show notes, as well as a link to the to the webinar that Danilo had done with Jamak on domain ownership of data, and a link to the video from Vladek Kononov that Andrew had mentioned as well. Thank you.
Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left Data Stacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started. So give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information as a service firm. Our offerings are affordable and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of Throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what, what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well. And have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music.